0: Alright, it is Monday, January 18th. Boy, it has been quite a month. Uh, one month since uh, the last episode. Um, and, uh, well, I think we are all pretty uh, clear on what's going on. <laughs> Aren't we? <laughs> uh, no, the truth is, things have never been any more uh, chaotic and there are different narratives that lots of different people have. It seems to be kind of coalescing around two main narratives. Uh, as Scott Adams has said for over a year now, it's two movies um, and the two different sides are each watching their own movie. Uh, the heroes and villains are reversed, but uh, same events, but two movies. And that's a pretty uh, astute Metaphor that I think was ahead of his time, along with uh, him saying for at least a year now that we are in a post-fact world, and that facts don't matter anymore. And it's true, you know. You see this with uh, with things coming out even during the election, uh, things we talked about here, um, Hunter Biden's. Uh, what turned out to be a full FBI investigation into Hunter Biden and now his father as well, uh, who uh, will be the president looks like on Wednesday. Um, the inauguration happening on Wednesday in front of 25,000 adoring fans who all happen to be in the military. Um, I say adoring because uh, they are reportedly screening out the Trump fans among those National Guard Uh, members who will be there in their camouflage-full uniforms, but they are uh, disarming them, reportedly. Uh, A lot of photos that have been circulating um, that seem to show many of the stationed military uh, National Guardsmen uh, do not have the magazines in their rifles. So I don't know if that is true across the board. I can't imagine that it would be, but sounds like that is true in at least a number of strategic places. And um, really, I, I think what you have happening now is um, you know, the Capitol riot gave the license for the government, for the, the power of the government and everyone that believes in it to crack down and say, Listen, you can burn small businesses, you can you know, go destroy people's livelihoods, but you cannot come after us. We are the government, and we need to uh, make a strong statement in all of this. And uh, even though um, the Capitol rioters uh, did not go in and trash the place, they did not go in and... Uh, uh, shoot up the place. In fact, they weren't even armed. Um, there were a handful of people outside that appear to have been armed, but uh, no one inside uh, was armed at all. And even the people outside, they were armed with knives. They weren't armed with firearms um, a- a- as far as all of the hundreds, maybe thousands of photographs and video clips that we've seen. So the idea that this was a armed insurrection is uh, total lies, uh, fabricated by the corporate press which is the enemy of the people but this is all advancing toward um what you would expect under the certain narrative now this doesn't necessarily mean you know i want to caution anyone that is connecting the dots because we don't know that all of all of the dots are connected um we can certainly start to imagine that certain lines exist but uh There's a lot of uh, information about how everything is is happening right now that's not clear at all. It's not transparent. It's being purposely hidden uh, because it is uh, of benefit to certain people. So, you know, I was having a conversation the other day about QAnon and the ideas of QAnon being a insurrectionary force you know someone that wants to destroy you know go storm the capital and take over the government you know which is is what the insurrection language is is talking about Insur- that's what insurrection means that's what coup means these are words that have been used um, far too generously by the uh, by everyone involved really because that's clearly not what this was this is the textbook definition of of a protest, which the left celebrates when it is on the left. Um, But there was some damage. Uh, There were a few people who were injured. You know, that is not a good thing. We should be against, and when I say we, I mean all human beings should be against violence no matter what. Um, Well, let me clarify that. We should be against the uh, initiation of violence. Defending yourself is another story, but that's not what this was. And, um, I, th- I think we need to be logically consistent about the capital riots doing some physical harm. And, um, then the question becomes, what about the sort of destruction of personal property? Except that it's not the same rules as if it was a private business because this is a, these are technically no one owns pub, this public property. So there's a question of how exactly, you know, where, where do the property rights of all this line up? And um, so it's actually not as clear of a case. You know, I think a, a moral purist would say that um, destroying anyone's stuff is bad, which I, you know, I would agree with. But, um, in this weird world where we have certain things that are, are owned by quote unquote, the public, you know, and these are people who, um, the people who control it are the ones that, uh, you know, most Republicans at the very least are, um, extremely displeased with to say the least about the total lack of transparency in the election. Um, you know, it's, it's just very easy to see if the roles were reversed here, the left would be celebrating this. And in fact, they have because leftists have stormed capitals in many states um, in recent years, even um, in Texas. They did this around uh, uh, Wendy Davis and abortion. Um, they did this in um, Wisconsin uh, fairly recently. Um, this, these are leftists who did this. And, uh, then, then AOC kind of led a charge through the Capitol itself. Um, now granted, as far as has been reported by the, uh, evil corporate press, it doesn't appear that anything was damaged during that time. But, you know, there are these photographs of people surrounding AOC, you know, all with their, their signs that are pre-manufactured. By uh, by some central organization and printed in the same factory. Clearly, you can tell they're they're right off the assembly line. And uh, and then AOC standing on a table in one of these capital offices. Um, it's it's pretty clear insurrectionary uh, language there. And again, I don't know that that needs to be punished because this is a public place. So. It's kind of expected that that would happen if, uh, if the government is, is misbehaving. So I think there's a, you know, as is always the case, there are two sides to any story. Um, and many times three or four or five or, or infinite sides to something. And in this case, I think it is wrong to classify the Capitol riot as a coup or an insurgency because it, it it's not that it may be inappropriate you could even argue that it is um it is morally wrong um in that it is very likely to lead to some sort of violence and destruction of something that is callous um and the the uh uh end of many of these these rioters lives um maybe not literally but but, you know, the, uh, the hunt for all of these people by the FBI has been pretty extensive so far. And uh, they're making a case out of these people. You know, this is not going to be something that goes away. These are people who are now on the TSA no-fly list. They will never be able to fly on a plane in the United States again. Um, they will be unable in many, in many uh, of these cases, and probably most of them, they're going to be charged with felonies. They're going to face jail time for this. You know, this is the full force of the state. And um, this is why it's always been kind of ridiculous for there to be infighting among the people who hate the state. Because there shouldn't be. Is that, I think it was Murray Rothbard that said the, the real test of which, uh, which political side you're on is do you hate the state? And there is so much evil that takes place with that power. Um, you know, the question becomes: Is there such thing as someone who can wield that—the power of the state, the monopoly power of the state—and this is the world's most powerful government that has ever existed, by the way. You know, there's never been any entity as powerful um, as unaccountable to its own destruction of individual citizens' lives. As the United States government, I mean, China's pretty close, but uh, but the United States is is up there right now, and um, if they are totally unaccountable with that power, you know, you could you could see how the right candidate in there could maybe do very little harm, you know, or no unintended, uh, no, no intended harm at least. You could see how someone could go in there and try to be a good steward of of those powers but it's much more likely that you're going to get someone who's reckless in some some way of the millions of things that you have to do when you're, you know, the president of the United States or even a senator or or a, a con- congressperson. You can see how the decisions you make are going to result in the destruction of otherwise peaceful individual lives. And it happens even, you know, if you look at some of the most cherished leaders on the right, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, hit the decisions that he made destroyed much of the um, the the otherwise peaceful status, I guess you would say, of individual citizens. Um, and just you can point to every single one of his bad decisions that have been criticized and and see you could find a story of someone who has been immensely harmed by that so um, now the question becomes is there is it possible you know really is that a better state of existence to have somebody good with that kind of power in office and maybe you can argue it is but then the question becomes is it always going to be a good guy and what happens if a bad guy gets in office what happens then, or what happens if someone like Trump, who had, I think, good intentions, gets in there, is extremely controversial to people on the other side that just cannot, somewhat understandably, cannot stand his bombastic style. Um, that react negatively, as as simplistic as it may be, react with with uh, with anger to the way that he treats things and the, the words that he uses and um, and the people that he selects to run things. Uh, and look, Trump takes a lot of fault, obviously, for this, but um, but is that a good thing? What happens if you have a, a good person who's elected president who the other side hates to the extent that it polarizes and unites that side against him? So does does that make the power of the state is, is that a good thing then? Because you have a good person there, but it's provoking response that's going to flip things. And then how do you dismantle that? And I think in many ways, that's where we are right now, where we have Trump who kind of came in as a wrecking ball for the country. And I think has—I'm has, um, extremely grateful because I think he sped up this process quite a bit. One, he signaled to conservatives that— um, that you could simply say no I'm not going to play by your rules and then uh he failed to really act in accordance with that I mean he, he did some some good things but uh he was not the um I mean look in the long run he was probably better than most conservatives thought he would be but he didn't live up to his promises that's that's for sure Um, His promise was, I'm going to make America great again at a very basic level. And I realize that's just a slogan and whatever, but it's not. It's also a promise. You know, he's campaigning on this message in order to get people to vote for him, to believe in that idea. And it's it's very clear. Now, I think what it turned into was a struggle. And we realized, oh, this is a much bigger culture war. I don't even think Trump has any idea how big of a culture war this is. Because we're not up against the left. You know, this is not, this is not a, a right versus left kind of thing. This is about the state. The power of the state. That monopoly of the state. Uh, there's a great documentary that's, that's free right now on, on Prime. Uh, Amazon Prime Video, if you're a Prime member. If not, it's worth a couple bucks. Um, called uh, Monopoly on Violence. And features a lot of uh, uh, kind of libertarian thinkers um, speaking specifically about kind of the the early formation of the state, why it exists. You know, it came from these, these uh, kind of agricultural hubs that started to accumulate wealth. And then there was a, a question of how to organize a lot of that. And they started to um, seize up neighboring lands around them into kind of one district that then a few people it was a few people in charge of that district and then you eventually kind of what grew out of that is uh is these kind of different tribes and then these cities and then states and countries and uh so you have this kind of accumulation this growth of a organizational structure which allows the people running it increasingly you know the bigger these get the people running these can get away with more and more and more and more to the extent that, you know, you you literally have people in the highest positions of power who are you know trafficking in teenage girls like this Jeffrey Epstein thing, you know, and then Jeffrey Epstein can uh, uh, simply disappear before he's uh, given a fair trial. And, oh, it turns out the cameras were off. It turns out the security guards uh, were asleep. Oh, it turns out... Like, all of these coincidence, coincidences stacked upon each other. And uh, and you, the citizen, are told, oh, no, 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 that's crazy to think there's anything more to it than, than just what that story is. Who's writing the story? That story is coming from the power of the state. And it can only exist because it is so powerful that it can cover its own tracks. You know, you could see if there was some accountability, there would be at least someone thrown under the bus. Oh, there was this other prisoner in Jeffrey Epstein's cell who uh, uh, escaped from prison from his cell because it wasn't locked all the way and went and killed Jeffrey Epstein. You know, like, whatever. You could invent, if, if you uh, if you were inside of the system, you could invent something like this and have a fall guy. And then it would kind of go away. And, oh, look, we were held accountable. We're beyond that. We're, we're at the point where you can have the highest profile criminal uh, being held in a jail cell and he can simply die. Um, and no one is going to ask questions. And we'll make some documentaries about it, put them on Netflix and on YouTube and do a couple podcasts about it. And then we're going to move on because it's crazy for you to think anything actually nefarious happened. No, he killed himself. That's the story. That's the official story. And you are asked to swallow this up. Well, we are in a post-fact world, and that may have worked uh, decades ago. It is not working anymore. And this is, I think, why you see the rise of some of these groups that are highly skeptical of the state, so um, what you have now is really, I, I think, a, a, a recipe that's pointing very clearly toward secession. I don't see any way around this. Um, I actually am a little bit disheartened that we're not hearing more about secession from the leaders in different parties. I think this is something that should should absolutely start to be discussed because secession is the right of any state to, to uh, simply... Uh, stop abiding by the rules of the federal government and to, if they choose to, work out a new relationship with uh, the federal government. Which laws you're going to stand by, which uh, agreements you're going to stand by, um, which you know policies you're going to recognize. Uh, there's no reason a state like Texas or even California... Could do that now. California won't because their guy won the White House. So now you know for the next four years at least, California is going to be firmly in the we're against secession. Everyone who wants to secede is doing that just because they like slavery. You know where th- that will be the narrative. So the question becomes: if you start to have a populist movement that wants to secede from the union how do you go about that how can you how can that become a popular enough movement that big cuz the basic idea i think look if you're talking with your your buddy in a bar back when remember remember uh, bars if you're uh, talking with your buddy um over zoom <laughs> over skype <laughs> uh You know, it's very, you can see how they would agree with the idea of secession. Oh, okay. All right. Well, fine. We can, we can kind of, it wouldn't be so bad. It wouldn't need to be a violent revolution where everyone's fighting each other right at the borders of every state. It could be something as similar as what we've seen with gay marriage and marijuana legalization, um, where it is still federally an issue, but on a state by state basis, you know, all these states and even a lot of, a lot of cities and counties and, um, And uh, smaller districts even within that, cultural districts, have totally decriminalized uh, marijuana, for instance. So, um, I mean, look, in California right now, there is a booming marijuana industry because it's legalized. And so, um, you know, you can see in places like—and, you know, this is true with uh, Seattle—sorry, with Washington and with Oregon as well—where— you, you, there's billboards that are up that say you know need your your cannabis fix come to this place and it's a place that is right around the corner from where you are and there are thousands of them. So you know this is, and this is against the law like this is considered the most uh, among the most dangerous drugs by the feds. So if the DEA wanted to come in and start taking out a lot of these pot shops as they did by the way, Five or six years ago, Uh, this was something they did regularly and uh, when it was just for medical marijuana. But now it's recreational in uh, in these states, and you can just go out and buy it. Anyone can. And uh, the feds could go in and bust those places over and over and over again. And they don't. They've actually stopped doing that. Why? Because there are too many people to be able to police. That is the beauty of this. You need to reach now look, it's not 50% of the public that is you know going out to pot shops or supportive of, of uh, pot shops. it may not be 50%. It may have been a much, much smaller number before uh, this actually the feds actually let this happen. Although I think in California it actually there was a referendum of some sort that decriminalized it and I think you know 51% actually did vote for that. Although I don't know if you're, if it's representative of the overall population, you know, the number of people voting is much, much smaller than the actual population of the state. So it's probably still, it, at the time it was still unpopular, I would imagine. Um, all the potheads probably came out and voted for it. Um, but that's what you you have. You have these these clusters of people that are defying federal laws. And at some point it becomes too difficult to actually police and they give in and you effectively have a soft secession happening on specific issues. Well, there is no reason that this could not happen on a federal level when it came to other policies and what other States are doing. Uh, for instance, if we see in an early Joe Biden administration, because I think that's prob that this is what's going to happen. I, I, I do think we're in some, um, potentially scary times where uh, most of the public has not really learned the lesson from the Trump era yet. And as a result, I think we are going to see um, some things moving so fast your head's going to spin and uh, certain policies that start to be enacted even in the first few days after uh, Biden is sworn in. You know, there's not going to be some revolution before then. Um, despite the them kind of laying the tracks for this, because you know the whole idea of this charade of having twenty five thousand military people in Washington D C at the inauguration to protect it is the projection that there are viable threats and people that are trying to come in and uh, and and uh, lay siege to the Capitol. Um, that's not true. That you couldn't even get there from the Capitol riots, which were unprecedented. But you can't get there, logically. So you end up with a um, situation that is uh, appearing. It, it's laying the foundation for the future policies that are going to be implemented. Uh, things like uh, uh, Joe Biden saying we must crack down on homegrown right-wing terrorism. Now, that's a very real thing. You know, the these messages that we're hearing, even podcasts like this, are going to be listened to for provocative, violent content. And this is why I would so strongly advocate that no one say anything that uh, glorifies the um, initiation of violence. Again, self-defense is another story. But... You should not be um, fantasizing in any way about violence. That is not a good thing. And I think we should all be on the same page about that. Uh, everyone who's not part of the corporate press. Because they're going to be coming for you. They're going to be looking for people who are on the fringes, who are fed up, and try to make a case for them. And the first instinct, as you see you know, people you're familiar with... Start to be banned, start to be uh, cut off from their banks, from their insurance companies. Um, You know, these are, these are, this is happening right now. And the instinct is to get violent. And um, so there's an immense kind of gaslighting that's happening right now. It is going to be much more expensive to be conservative. And I say this not as a conservative. Because I, I am not. I'm, if anything, I'm much more of a libertarian, kind of anarcho-capitalist um, than anything conservative. But the fact that you have such a broad uh, group in the public, conservatives, who are being demonized at this level, means that uh, we're going to see some pretty big things start to happen that will um, be highly provocative for many on the right to try to mobilize in some way and what i would advocate is do not initiate any violence um defend your lives defend your livelihoods and um spread the word about secession because i think that's our solution it can be a soft secession it shouldn't be a violent one with any luck no blood will be shed now is that probably likely? No, that's that's probably not that likely. There's gonna, I would assume there's probably gonna be some violence as horrible as that is, and again would never advocate for that. But you also have to realize we're living in a world where um, both sides in the last year have uh, killed literally killed each other. You've had people um, who are. Um, and granted, this it's the fringes, right? It's not it's not the mainstream liberals and the mainstream conservatives. These are really on the edges of this, but um, we're getting there. I mean, people are being pushed again toward these extremes. And the great thing is, as long as we can stay peaceful, that is a extremely optimistic thing. And uh, and so I would really just encourage everyone to talk about secession more. It's a good thing. It's the solution to our division problems. It really makes go away this whole idea of I want to vote my guy in to enforce laws against you. You know, that that goes away with secession. You no longer are voting for someone that your friend uh, vehemently hates. You know, it's fine for people to... Look, people tend to live in peace with each other in neighborhoods despite a million different lifestyle differences. That is one of the most amazing things about the United States and where the kind of, you know, diversity is our strength uh, mantra actually has a little bit of truth. Because if we can peacefully um, coexist in a way, in a, in a neighborhood, even if we strongly disagree with each other's, even if we strongly disagree with each other's perspectives on things, then uh, then I think we're, we're then I think we are truly reaching a state where we can evolve. But we're not there yet. We need to have a soft secession um, or a hard secession and become different nations and literally split up. I don't know where the 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 borders of each country will be, but boy, it would be great to have at least three different clusters of states that have their own rules and their own systems and their own. And ideally, one of them will be, um, will be anarcho-capitalist, have essentially no laws, um, because that is something that I think unlocks the next stage of human potential. So that's it for this episode. Sorry I went so long without, uh, uh, posting anything. I mean, we had the holidays and then, um, obviously all the, the, uh, the capital stuff, um, there's there's uh, no shortage of things to keep our attention, and it is happening faster than ever. I think we're going to continue to see this. I would just encourage everyone, stay optimistic. There is immense possibility and opportunity on the other side of what's going to be a pretty difficult few months or years. Um, so stay strong. Just go out and uh, uh, make the best life for yourself possible, and um, and s- start talking about secession. Because I think that is uh, uh, a still kind of a dirty word for a reason. The state hates it, um, but it needs to be. It needs to be talked about. I think that is the step in people starting to realize. I guess we don't really have to keep voting for my guy that's going to screw you over or your guy that's going to screw me over. There's a solution to that. No one has to get screwed over. No one has to have their strong man setting the the law for four years and panicking the other one into a deranged uh, mental instability. We should be encouraging that. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.